We're going to be looking at Genesis 2 this morning. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles there or turn on an app you may have on your phone or look at it in your bulletin, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I want to start with a story about my own life and, and really share to begin with that I never knew a failure to rest would cost me so much. I had just gotten into ministry. I was called to um, a larger church in our denomination and uh, wanted to make sure that I would prove that they hired the right guy. And I was young. I was 26 years old. There was lots to be done, lots of transitions that the church was going through. And there were a few things that were driving my heart at that time, but it took a lot of counseling and a lot of times with friends to unravel what was driving this workaholism in my heart. At a church that size, there were always things to get done. You were never done with your to-do list, but I wanted to make sure that I was getting it done and I was failing to rest in the meantime. There were things at the church uh, that needed to happen, good things that needed to be moved forward, things that were broken that needed to be fixed, and I was going to fix it alone. Even though I had many elders, many deacons, many wonderful servants at the church, I was going to fix it. I felt the burden was on my shoulder to fix it. Listen, in the Reformation, we really herald these wonderful truths of in Christ alone, by grace alone, Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, by faith alone. But I was going to change the church by Clay Werner alone. And I didn't know that's what I was thinking at the time. I wanted to impress people. A young guy leading a church like that, I wanted to let them know, you've hired the right guy and I'm going to work hard. I don't want to disappoint you. To handle some of the things that were going on, it was one of those things where the kids would wake up in the morning and dad wasn't home because I had meetings starting at 6 a.m. They would go to bed at night and I wasn't home because I would have meetings that would go till 11 o'clock or midnight because I was going to make everything happen. I never knew how much my failure to rest would cost me. It would cost damage to my marriage as let's just say, when you are not continually spending time with your wife, it doesn't help things. It wasn't helping my marriage. It wasn't helping my time with my kids. They never saw their dad. And usually when they saw their dad, mom would have to go, be careful. It's just like walking on eggshells. Don't make dad mad. He's home. He's got a lot going on. I could go off just like that. I did not know how much my failure to rest would cost me. It cost me my effectiveness in ministry. There were multiple times where elders who loved me well would go, Are you angry? And of course, I would angrily say I was not. It cost me my health. I sought rest in many things, mostly food. I sought rest in binge-watching TV shows. I would get home late at night and just be like, Seinfeld and Simpsons are going to make me totally forget all that I have going on. Go to bed way too late, get up way too early, early for yet another meeting so that I could temporarily forget all that needed to be done, all the problems that needed to be addressed. I never knew how much my failure to rest would cost me. 
And I'm so thankful for the patience of my family. I still ask my kids sometimes, do you remember those days, early days in Lexington? And I'm so thankful, may it always be the case where they go, not really. I'm like, please, okay, just... I I hope you don't remember daddy never being home or daddy being agitated and frustrated when he was home because I was never resting. And deep in my soul, whether I knew it or not, I began to view God as a harsh taskmaster that demanded I work. And I was forgetting that he was a good father who delighted to give me rest from work so that I could be renewed. You know, that's one of the things that happened in my life. I never knew how much the failure to rest would cost me. I'd forgotten not only that I was fallen, but that I was simply human. God didn't make me to work like that. He made me to rest periodically, to be renewed, refreshed, refueled, revitalized. Now listen, context again for Genesis is people who had been enslaved for generations by Pharaoh and the Egyptians, who did not know what a day of rest was, who demanded that they work seven days a week, no rest, and even though they were exhausted, worn out, broken, and hurting, the Egyptians just heaped on more and said, keep on working, and the only rest they would have is literally when they died. And so they're brought into the desert by this redeeming God out of Egypt. And they hear for the first time that God wove rest into the very fabric of the universe and in every piece of their DNA. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. The final day of the week in Genesis. God has been working diligently, faithfully, beautifully, creatively. He finishes everything, and on day seven, it says this, Genesis chapter two, verses one through three. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Amen. The reading of God's word, which he has given to you because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Let's pray. Father, for some reason, sin makes us resistant to rest or to look for rest in all the wrong places. But Father, even this morning, help our hearts rest and find refuge and renewal in you alone, the one who delights to give rest to your people. Give it to us this morning, even as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk this morning as we move forward, God's rest and our rest God's rest and our rest. Again, you can see here that the the Egyptians, or excuse me, the the Israelites are listening to this in the desert. They've just been rescued by the Egyptians who never allowed them to rest. Pharaoh himself was considered a god amongst all the other gods of Egypt, and those gods never allowed 
the Israelites to take a break, to rest. And into that world of exhaustion, Genesis chapter 2 speaks. You know, it was not just in that day with the Israelites. There's an article even pre-pandemic in the New York Times that says that there was an epidemic of exhaustion in the modern West. I'd say that's only made worse after COVID and everything else that has happened. So we need rest. And Genesis 2 invites us into this rest that God has for us as we look at God's rest. You can see the first way that it describes what God does on the seventh day as he rested. He finishes everything that he had to be done on days one through six. You can see this in verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were, notice the language there, finished, done, and all the host of them. And then again on verse two, it says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And then notice what it does. Once the work is done, it says that he rested on the seventh day. Now, I think there's a, there's a theologian. I think he's right. His name is John Murray. He taught at Westminster in Philadelphia. And one of the things that he said was, we have to remember that God ceased from some activity on the seventh day, but he did not cease from all activity. He ceased from the activity of creation, but now begins the activity of providence, of sustaining and guiding and directing everything. But when it comes to creation, he's finished, he's done, he rests, he ceases the work of creation. And so you'll notice what's happening here is that, that rest isn't only a seizing from activity, but it's being encouraged by the act of completion. So resting includes looking back and being encouraged by what's been completed. Again, you can see this in verse 1. It says the heavens and the earth were finished. Verse 2, on the seventh day, God finished. God is enjoying in his heart the finished work of creation. He sees its beauty, its harmony, its flourishing, its life, everything that's happening. And he sees that it's completed. Rest in Scripture, not only for us, but even for God as well, isn't only encouraged by completion, but it's also celebration. That God, as it were, is sitting back and looking at all that he's done, and he's celebrating all that he sees in the life that he has created and how it brings honor and glory to him. And he's resting not only as an act of completion, as an act of celebration, but also he's doing it for the purpose of imitation. Remember how in the sixth day it says that God made man in his image to rule and to have dominion? That man should be fruitful and multiply, man and woman together in their call to have dominion over the earth. We talked about that last week. And now he's saying, you're made in my image. And if you're made in my image, if I rest, what ought you to do? Rest. It's completion, it's celebration, but it's also for the purpose of imitation. God is saying, I, I know, I'm your creator. I know the way I designed you. And you must take time to rest. All of time is moving towards this day in the creation account, the Sabbath day, the seventh day. Rest, set that whole day apart. Rest. 
God rested on the seventh day. That's the first thing he does. You'll notice also that he blessed the seventh day. It says this on verse 3. It says, so God blessed the seventh day. Now here's one of the interesting things to see as you look at Genesis in the language of blessing. is in all the different days of Genesis chapter 1, when it says that God blessed something, whether it be the animals uh, of the land, the birds of the air, it says he blessed them and then commanded them, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. In other words, blessing was the conveying of life and vitality. And so again, in Genesis 1, he says, he blessed them and then he calls them to do something. Now you'll notice he uses the language of blessing in chapter 2, but there's no calling them to do something after. It just simply says that he blessed, and again, not animals or birds or humans. It says he blessed the day. So God blessed the seventh day. In other words, what he's saying is, if you want to experience renewal, power, vitality, this is the day that God has blessed. And when you enter into it, you will experience that renewal, vitality, and flourishing without yet that call to go and do something. This day, it's just be blessed. Just rest. Just experience the blessing, the power of vitality, refreshment, and renewal that God wants to give you. So he rests, he blesses, and then lastly, God's rest, he sets apart. You can again see this in verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. What does that mean, that God made it holy, that he sanctified the seventh day? Here's one of the beautiful things that that shows about who God is. He, he uses his kingly authority to declare what this day will be for. He says on this day, he rests. He's going to bless this day to fill it with life and vitality and flourishing so that when you enter into it, you experience that. And then he says, I'm going to use my sovereign authority to sanctify it. I always kid around sometimes. Sometimes when we hear the language of holy or holiness, we think it about just as exciting as broccoli. Like, yay, holy, sounds fun. Scripture says if you want to really understand holy, it means life at its best highest and greatest, like God himself, unique, set apart. And holy here that he set apart this day or made it holy, it says it means that he set it apart for his purpose. And what is his purpose on this day? Your benefit. He is using this day so that you will be benefited. That's why Jesus says in Mark chapter 2 and other places in the gospel that God created the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is for our benefit. Right off the bat, in Genesis chapter 2, even though knowing they've experienced generation after generation after generation of slavery, and they might be tempted just because the way their mind has been shaped to think God we're just kind of transferring gods from Egyptian gods to now this new one that we don't really know too well. He's saying, never think of me as a harsh taskmaster. 
Never. He is a creator God who delights to be a rest giver. Not a harsh taskmaster, but a good rest giver. And you'll notice what's interesting about this seventh day is it's unique in this. There is no refrain like there is on the other days of, and there was morning and there was evening on the seventh day. It doesn't mention that. Why? Well, the rest of the Bible gives us the answer. Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 actually says that what God is inviting them into is not only this temporal weekly rest, but his eternal rest that God himself enjoys. That day doesn't end because that rest always exists in the presence of God. And he says, I'm inviting you on this weekly rhythm to have a foretaste of what that heavenly rest is like in my presence. Here's really what's going on here is God rests on the Sabbath day. He blesses it, fills it with life and vitality for us. He sets it apart for our benefit. It's like this. Scholars across the board in the Old Testament say that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he's using the imagery of God building a house. He's an architect and a builder. I don't know, for some of you kids out there, I know when my kids were very young, they liked the show Bob the Builder, all right? He loved to build things. Well, here's God. He's just built this massive house, okay? Creation. And he's inviting us now to say the house is finished. I'm inviting you inside to be with me, the one who made it. And now to, to cease from your work and enjoy being with your creator. To, to kind of let that hit home a little bit more, let me mention this. Some of you, likely all of you, have heard of the Biltmore, North Carolina. Massive house. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I remember driving up, just mouth open, have never seen anything like that when it comes to the house, when it comes to the grounds. They started building it in 1849. It took them six years of building and building and building and building. And finally, on Christmas Eve, maybe some of you know this story, Christmas Eve of 1895, hammers were put down. And on Christmas Eve of 1895, the Vanderbilts welcomed family and friends and everyone who worked on the house to cease from what they were doing, to come in and on the table, I mean, this table is probably like two miles long if you've been inside that house. Uh, there are over four acres of floor space in this house. But if you go into one of the main rooms, there's this dining hall with a table that was absolutely enormous that was filled to the brim with food that some of those people couldn't even imagine in their wildest dreams. And on another table by an almost 30-foot tall Christmas tree, decorated to the max, everything looked incredible. Just think Christmas Wonderland. They're inviting family and friends and workers and saying, would you come in and feast with us? And then also, if you didn't notice, there was about a 30-foot table by the Christmas tree filled about, they said, eyewitnesses said about 30 feet of nothing but gifts, and you could go pull out anything you wanted. And can you imagine Vanderbilt opening up the door and just saying, come on in. It's all yours. Come celebrate with me. 
And just you sitting and kind of sitting at the very entrance going, like, me? I, I can? Yes, you. On a scale much more beautiful than that, larger than that, God himself on this seventh day is saying, your home is finished. Would you come in and feast with me? Feast on my life, my power, my strength, my energy, my love for you. And let's enjoy being with each other. That's God's rest, inviting us into his rest, his house that he has made for us. And the question is, will you accept that invitation this morning to rest in him, to rest on the seventh day that he has created? Well, what does our rest look like? Our rest in light of Genesis 2, 1 through 3 should look like this, delighting in this God. Okay, so just remember this. If you look at Genesis 1, you see all this life that's coming about. He says stars exist and stars exist. Sun and moon go, boom, there they are. There's all of a sudden, there's plants all over the place. There's animals all over, birds over here, fish over here. And the one who created all that life is now saying, come inside and be with me. And I love how scripture will say it all throughout face to face. We allow his face to shine upon us on this day as we draw near to our God and he draws near to us. He, he says, listen, your greatest rest is to delight your own heart in your creator God who is abundant life. So it exists in delighting. This is what our rest should look like. Delighting in God. Depending upon God. He isn't just life. He's life overflowing. And so this, this seventh day is a reminder to all of those Israelites then. It's a reminder to all of us now that remember that you're only human. And when God created you that way, he said, and it was very good. In other words, God knows that he has not made you all powerful. God knows that he has not made you all wise or all knowing or all giftedness. He's saying, listen, I know I gave you this task of having dominion over the earth, and I know that you could not get that done by five o'clock on Saturday. So there's about a thousand more things to get done on your to-do list, and I'm inviting you to put that down. Delight in me and depend on me to renew you. That's why I, I will say this. I think often we root humility in our fallenness, but humility is first of all rooted in our humanity. You're limited. You're finite. You can't do all things. You can't be all things. And at some point, God calls you to rest because you are dependent on him. Listen, if we just want to go to Seminary 101 right now, this is important. Let's put our thinking caps on, okay? Seminary 101. Uh, Liz had some friends that she worked for. She was an executive assistant out in California. I always loved it. They had her drive around this Hummer that had the, the company logo all over it. It was massive. And uh, tried driving that around on the streets of L.A. And, uh, but nobody that she worked with was a believer. And they, they, they said, so your husband goes to God's school, right? God's school? 
And uh, they had no clue what seminary was, which we thought was wonderful, and they called it God's school. But here's, here's the first thing you'll learn in God's school, okay? Seminary. The creator-creature distinction. God alone is self-sufficient. You are not. He created you to be dependent upon him. And so that's what we do on this day of rest. We delight in God. We, we remember that we are merely human. And so we depend on him for our refuge, our renewal, our refreshment. But we're not just delighting in him and depending on him. We're also submitting to his design. This is not just the way he designed our humanity need for rest. It's the way he designed our chronology, the seventh day, laid aside to rest. He reigns. He's king. He defines time itself and says on this day, you put your to-do list down. You, you bring your restless heart into my presence and rest because I am your king and this is what I've summoned you to do. I am your creator. This is what I know is best for you. But here's what happens. Here's what happens to the Israelites. Here's what scripture says happens to all of us. Can you imagine going to the Vanderbilt house, going to Viltmore, you see the gifts on the table that you're allowed to take because it's just, they want to give gifts. You see the feast that's prepared for you. You see the house that you get to stay in that evening and enjoy. And you're looking at it and you're peeping in and you see the host say, come on in. We'd love to enjoy this with you. And, and us having the audacity to go, I'll find something better somewhere else. And literally turning your back and walking away. See, that's what Scripture says we've done to this, this day, this time, this God of the Sabbath day who wants to give us rest. In our sin, we turn away. And just like I did when I didn't realize what the failure of resting would cost me, I started to look for counterfeit rest everywhere else. And let me define counterfeit rest this way. The relentless pursuit of a person, place, substance, or experience that will give you a refuge and refreshment in the midst of life's expected and unexpected exhaustion. Let me say that a little bit more slowly this time. The relentless pursuit of a person, a place, a substance, or an experience that will give us a refuge and refreshment in the midst of life's expected and unexpected exhaustion. So the question even just to search your own hearts this morning is here's this creator God on the seventh day saying, I rest, I bless this day, I sanctify it for you. Now come, delight yourself in me. I am your life. Depend on me. I refresh and renew your life. Submit to my beautiful design of your humanity and chronology and enter into this day of rest. When you say no and look for rest in someone or something or some substance or some experience, what is it? I guess in some ways I know that when I was failing to rest, it might be the TV 
Well, this was too long ago, so social media wasn't around. Maybe now it could be social media. It could be something else that you can access on your phone very easily. And all of them behind them, sin makes a promise of, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What it doesn't hide is that it's temporary rest, and it's rest that will actually make you more exhausted in the long run because it's a counterfeit rest. And listen, I think there's also not just counterfeit rest that we pursue, but we also come up with a thousand reasons why we don't rest. I mean, it's just one of those things where I think if, if I was having a conversation with God, it would be like this. God, I, I guess you just don't know that's all on my plate that I have to get done. I have to get this done. I can't rest. There's no way. I guess you don't know the circumstances I'll go through. I got to make this happen. I can't rest. I guess you don't know this or you don't know how hard this, and I, I can't rest. And God's sitting here saying, I, I have rest for you right here. Lay the to-do list down. Do you trust me with your to-do list? Here's the thing. At rock bottom, our failure to rest is rooted in our failure to trust. That's why I drove the burnout train off the cliff. I didn't just close, get close. I drove it off the cliff and off that cliff with my family. And it impacted all of them, and it impacted the church that I was serving because I refused to rest. And it took crashing and burning before I realized not only am I human and I need rest, but I'm fallen and I need rest. And I realized that these counterfeit rests had failed me, and they will fail you too. And that we can always come up with a thousand reasons to put rest off. And God says, I'm inviting you into this rest. So I love that God doesn't say, well, so be it. Good luck with that. Instead, what happens when our hearts go on a relentless pursuit of a person, a place, or a substance that will give us that refuge and refreshment that we're looking for, the God who is rest goes on a relentless pursuit of you that the Father would send his own Son into the world. We who had walked away from this invitation to rest in God, to delight in him, to depend on him, to submit to his design of our humanity and chronology. And he will send his own Son to search for us, even as we are relentlessly searching for someone or something to give us rest. And then finally he catches up with us. And it's as if you're at that point where your soul is exhausted, you are tired, you're finally starting to realize that the counterfeit rests do nothing to you, that your refusing to rest is actually destroying you. And in that moment, Jesus comes to you and he says, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm not a harsh taskmaster. He is a good rest giver, and he says, and you will find rest for your souls. In fact, so 
so desirous as Jesus to give you this true, deep, eternal rest that he would die on the cross to give you a new heart to look to him alone for that rest. Remember what I said, that the ability to rest is most deeply rooted in our ability to trust God? Over time, I had to learn of saying, God, I have 2,000 more things on my to-do list. I don't know if any of them are ever going to get completed. I'm working on it. But you've called me on this day to rest. And so I trust you with all of these things, and I lay them aside. On this side, it's not things I need to do. It's circumstances I'm enduring, and I'm trying to control them and fix them. But God, you're the only one who is in control. You're the only one who really can fix it all. And yes, you encourage me to engage in those matters, but ultimately it's not up to me. So for this moment, I stop and I rest with the rest that you've given to me. I think it profoundly amazing that when Jesus rose from the grave, anybody remember what day he rose from the grave? Sunday, the first day. That act was so radical and powerful that it changed the Sabbath day. Now it's no longer working towards rest at the end of the week. It's working from the gift of rest that God gives to you at the very beginning of the week. It's a Sunday where God has called us to gather together. And he says, would you gather with other people who know my name, who've embraced my heart? Would you delight in me? Who I am your life. Would you come and depend on me? Would you come and submit to my good design for you? Put down your performance. Enjoy his presence. Lay everything down because he is your everything. Cease to work so that you can begin to stand in wonder and lay down your busyness and walk into his stillness. God's rest. It's resting, blessing, setting apart his holy. For your benefit, our rest is to delight to depend and submit to his design. What counterfeit rest are you pursuing? What reasons to rest are you giving for an excuse not to? And still this morning, Jesus is inviting you to rest in him, to set this day aside, to rest in him. Let me end with this. If you're in the nosebleed section of a concert and someone said, do you want to upgrade your tickets to right by the band? What would you say? If you were flying in the main cabin and someone said, would you like to upgrade your tickets to first class? What would you say? If you were staying in a hotel room that was the cheapest one they had and someone came and knocked on your door and said, would you like to upgrade to the executive suite? What would you say? I think most of us would not say something. We would ask something, right? How much does it cost? And there might be a cost in those, but what if they said nothing? How quick is your response going to be after that? It's going to be, yes, give me the place right by the band. Give me the first class tickets. Give me the executive suite. Listen, in the gospel, God goes, I know all the different rests you're used to. And it still leaves you tired and exhausted. Would you like to upgrade your rest to the rest that only God can give? 
And if our first question is, how much will it cost? The answer is a lot. It'll cost not you, but the son, his life and his death. But it was a price he wanted to pay, he was willing to pay, he joyfully paid to give you rest that you need. That's why Augustine would say, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. So would all of our hearts this morning rest in Christ, the rest giver. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave your son to relentlessly pursue us when we were relentlessly looking for rest. But you, Father, through your son, the rest giver, would come and find us and give us rest and pay the price for us so that our rest could be upgraded to the rest that we were created and redeemed to enjoy. Help us, Lord, even on these days, these Sabbaths that you've set apart and blessed, to set it aside in our own hearts, to come with your people, to delight in you, to depend on you, and to submit to your beautiful design for our humanity, that we weren't made to constantly work, but to put our work aside and to be invited into your presence. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.